0: Uh, Teen Challenge being with us again, been here all month. Can we give them a hand again for just, uh, for just their, their, their commitment and decision to follow Jesus and to find him on the path of life that they're on and how he's working and moving in these girls' lives and how excited we are to be a part of that. Uh, what opportunities we get when you guys come, we consider it a great honor. And uh, uh, just a, a privilege to be able to minister the word of God. I, I feel that way about anybody, especially when a group chooses. You got a lot of other places you choose. You choose to come here. We welcome you, and we thank you for that. I also say to those who choose to come online with us, we welcome you. We're glad that you're joining us online. And that if it's that's right, give them a hand. Um, whether you're streaming live or you've come into this uh, video uh, because somebody sent it to you and said, you need to go hear what this guy said. So, uh, uh we we welcome you we're glad that you're part of this service today and i i just want to encourage everybody today to know that god's at work amen he's moving powerfully in so many ways And i'm gonna give you i'm gonna open up with a paul harvey kind of story okay the rest of the story don't you love paul harvey i loved when he's in and now the rest of the story so so some of y'all have no clue what paul harvey is that's okay I understand uh, if you're online, go look it up while you're listening. Okay, um, in 2008, the Olympics were held in Beijing, and a seven-year-old girl named Lin Mayoki opened the ceremony with a song called Ode to the Motherland, and there was applause. I mean, it was resounding. It was unbelievable. It was awesome. I mean, the whole world applauded the moment. Now, As Paul Harvey was saying, here's the rest of the story. It was later revealed that she was actually lip-syncing the song that was recorded earlier by another seven-year-old who was named Yang Peli, who didn't make the final cut to be on stage because of her smile. This is sad, I know, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to get to the end of it the chinese officials decided due to some dental work that she needed she wouldn't be good su- a, a good suitable look for the communist party now i know that to us we think that's weird that's so wrong they should have done that but but let's face it everything's about image this day and time let's let's, let's i mean there's such a struggle over image over over the idea uh, um, uh what there seems to be an illusion, I guess you could say, even in Hollywood, even around us every day, even when we watch TV and see people speaking and doing stuff, uh, that says to us, if you look good, then you must be good. And there seems to be this mindset that sort of operates. Which is, I'm going to take us to our, to our bulletin right quick. You know me. I like to remind you of our mission statement. If you recall, our mission statement is in our bulletin every week that we hand to you. Evangel's mission is loving God. Whoever you are and wherever your journey has taken you, rest assured you will be loved, valued, and encouraged here through a connection with God and with one another. Now, why do I bring that back up? Because the scripture teaches us something that I want to remind us of today. That there is this law of Christ. Okay? There's the law of Christ we're called to obey. And for us to obey it, we have to understand there's a purpose in obeying it. Okay, So what is the purpose in obeying the law of Christ? And probably a good question would be, what is that law? What, what, is, what, is, what are they talking about there? Well, we're called to change the world around us. But we have to, we have, to have, a I, I guess, for us to obey the law of Christ, we have to understand there's a change of heart that has to happen in us. I'm going to talk to you this morning about, What it is to live heart first. Okay, heart first. That's my phrase this morning. What does it mean to be be a heart first people? What does that look like? How does that function? Because before we'll we'll have an impact on the world around us, I think we've got to reach the place that we understand what obeying the law of Christ calls us to do, which is to be a heart first people. I believe the law of Christ that we're called to to obey is to be a people who love. I mean who love, who practice love the way God taught us and example and gave us the illustration of love through his son Jesus. I'm going to read a passage to you, Galatians chapter 6. It comes from verses 1 and 2. If you're writing it down, you can put that, jot that down. Dear brothers and sisters, if, anyone, if, if, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share, with e- share each other's burdens in this, in this way. Obey the law of Christ. Obey the law of Christ. I'm saying the law of Christ is the law of love. And I'm saying to be a person who lives out in obedience, loving people, as our mission statement tells us here, then we got to be a heart first people. So what is a heart, what is it to be, what is heart first? What does it mean, what do I mean by heart first? Well, um, I'll give you my phrase, my definition, a heart fully engaged in loving people. That's what it is to be a heart first person, to be heart first people. To be a people whose hearts are fully engaged in loving others. Now what does the heart fully engaged look like? I'm going to give you three characteristics of a heart heart of living heart first i'm gonna give you three characters three things that you're you'll be doing throughout your day throughout the week the month the year throughout your life that if you'll do these three things if these characteristics are found in you then you'll be able to be fully engaged in loving folks and so i'm gonna, what i'm going to give you is not easy i'm not going to play around with you i'm not going to joke with you this is serious i mean this is hard because I'm going to talk to you about loving folks. And some folks are just hard to love. Say amen. amen. Right? They're just hard to love. They're just hard to love. So, so here we go. Number one, heart first people are quick to forgive. Heart first people are quick to forgive. People who live heart first overlook flaws and crooked teeth. Amen? Amen. So that's why I use the example I did of the Paul Harvey story because people who are quick to forgive don't notice that they understand the makeup of the person is not the external, but it's the internal. And so, so they spiritually, mentally, and emotionally extend forgiveness to people who have wronged them, even if that person hasn't asked for forgiveness, even if they don't even act like they they, they there's any reason for them to be forgiven. Living heart first means living free of grudges, basically. And so I'm—I'm I'm sort of a, I, y'all know me well enough after the few months I've been here. Uh, I'm sort of the kind of guy that likes to, um, maybe tie an example in. So I'm going to use my backpack. So here's the catch: if we're going to be a heart-first people, we got to live free of free from grudges. And that's hard. That's a hard one. I mean, it's hard because when people hurt us, use us, talk about us, um, maybe talk about us behind our backs, that's the worst ones, right? Say all manner of evil about us. Our first response is to is is not to love them. I don't immediately go, oh, that's okay. I just want to hug their neck. Amen. Because, because grudges are real. Grudges are real. Look, look at your hand. I'm going to get you to do something. Put your hands out in front of you. Put your hands out in front. Of you. I want you to look at your hands, and I want you to ask yourself this question right now, looking at your hands. Am I holding a grudge today? I know most of us are looking at our hands. They're empty. Most of you have washed your hands at some point today. Um, your hands look. Fairly decent, mine are rough, but that's okay, a little dry, should I should use some lotion. But in reality, I don't see anything as far as a grudge in front of me, right? So you can put your hands down. Here's the catch, here's the catch. You know that you've got to take hold of a grudge before you can hold on to a grudge. And you see, somehow we miss the fact that it is my action that creates this issue in me and not the action of the other person. Somehow I forgot or forget or overlooked the fact that I had to take hold of it before I could hold on to it. Okay, so there's a part of me that I've got to understand that there is this responsibility that I have. I want to talk to you about about a grudge for a second today. So a grudge is defined as a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a past in, insult or injury. So it's a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment. Well, if it's sitting over in that corner, it's not hurting me. It's when I've got a hold to it, whenever I'm hanging on to it, when I won't let it go, that it begins to affect me. Now, it's not affecting me right now. I, you know, I could carry this around for a little while, but, but the problem is, I, I, I mean, after a while, it's going to get heavy. It's going to affect my walk. Did you know that your iPhone will tell you whether or not you're walking correctly? Yes. There is a setting on your iPhone that if you carry it in the hip range, that it will actually measure your steps, and it will tell you the percent of time that you are walking crooked. See, there's, this is stuff that we don't know about. They're tracking us, folks. Anyway. Uh, so mine, I have mine set, and I average somewhere in a 3 to 8% stride. Uh, um, um, how, I forget the word it uses, but in other words, I'm taking the same stride. Three, like 3 to 8% of the time, I'm out of stride, 3% to 8%. So that means 90-something percent of the time, i am out of stride 3 to 8 percent so that means 90 something percent of the time i am in correct stride. But when my hip bothers me, or I bet if I carried this around all the time, it would affect my stride. Huh? If I bet you if I held on to this grudge long enough, it would affect my spiritual stride. It would measure the difference in the effect. God's Word is measuring the difference in the effect those things I'm holding on to are having on me. And before long, I'm going to figure out half the time I'm not walking right. So I like to use this example, and I'm going to just do it this way. I like to think of it as the devil that's sitting on my shoulder rather than something I hold on to because he will rob you of so many opportunities to have a heart fully engaged in loving folks. He'll use anything he can to get you to not want to love somebody, and he'll use them to do it. Amen. Leviticus 19, 18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge. Bear, bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Ephesians 4, 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. How many of y'all know God sees a grudge as evil behavior? If I'm picking something up and I'm holding on to it that is against someone else, that's evil behavior. If if I'm bearing something that I shouldn't be bearing and it's affecting how I walk for God, how how my spiritual stride is, then that's that's evil behavior. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So so our example of forgiving others, I mean, I wish I could say it's how we treat each other, but it's not. It's actually God's son and how he treated us. He's the example of forgiveness. So I got to get rid of anything that will affect my heart from being fully engaged in loving people that God has placed in my life. So we got to do what? We got to let go. We, gotta, we got to unfetter ourselves. We got to take the load off. Get, quit bearing the grudge. We got to let go of the grudge. We got we to put it at the feet of Jesus. We got to put them at the feet of Jesus. Listen, holding on to a grudge is basically holding hatred in your heart. That's what it is. The word says, if you won't forgive others, God won't forgive you. So here's the problem. Here's the problem. Our hearts are fully engaged when we hold a grudge. See, that's what we don't understand. And so I'm going to take just a second to talk about this, and we'll get to point number two. The fact is, our, in other words, once your heart is fully engaged in something, There's no room for it to get fully engaged in something else. So if my heart is fully engaged in a grudge, I'm not going to probably be able to be fully engaged in loving God the way I should and loving others the way I should because it's affecting me. So here's what we begin to see about this. We can be fully engaged in hating someone that we choose to be judge and juror over at the cost of our own soul. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the effects of a grudge. We're talking about the effects of holding on to a wrong. So watch this. The, to understand and obey the law of Christ means that we engage our heart fully in, loving, fully in loving others, those who hurt us, those who talk about us, those who slander us, those who say that there things that aren't true about us. And, and how do we know that? How we know that is, it's what Jesus did when they did it to him. So I'm talking about us being Christ on earth. Don't hold on to the grudge. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm talking about getting to the place where we love people through the power and the presence of Christ in us. Heart first, heart first, heart first. Heart first is my phrase because I think it sort of represents how we're supposed to be connected. My connection with you should be that I've taken all of who I am and I've offered it to you. Amen? I can't have anything secret, anything, little hidden parts. I can't have anything that I'm so ashamed of that I wouldn't share it or wouldn't talk about it. It's all redeemed in Jesus' name. Amen? And so I can say, look, What the Lord has done. Second, heart-first people receive godly correction. And not only quickly forgive, but they're open to godly correction. We're open. If we're going to be heart first, we've got to be open to how God wants to direct us and speak to us and work through us. Zechariah 4:10 gives us this thought. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work again, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So what was going on right here was this. The King James actually uses the words, For who has despised the day of small things? Uh, Zechariah, his question rings true for us today, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a picture of this thing right here. Um there was this moment, I guess you could say, and and there was this this event that was happening. Zachari- uh, 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 Zerubbabel had had reached a point in his life where that the temple uh, of his day uh, that he had been called to rebuild had been destroyed for twenty years. So literally, um, the the temple had been in ruins for twenty years. It it was so bad. It it sort of it's sort of I like to use the pieces of it as the small things, the small beginnings. So he was facing 20 years of small things at his feet. Isn't that our life? We've lived and you've lived and things have happened, and now you sort of at a spot where you want to do something big for God or be used by God, and all of a sudden you look around and you go, where did I start, Lord? There's all of this stuff. There's all of this stuff. There's all of these things. There's that. Now, I, I, give me something, Lord. And he's pointing at the smallest of rocks. He's pointing at the smallest of those things laying around you, and he's saying, I'm going to use that. I'm going to start right there. Every one of us could answer, I've been, I've despised the day of small things. Every one of us could answer that because, because the reality is the question provides its own answer. None of us should despise the days of small things because God has this incredible, though, but though maybe difficult purpose for those days. He has this incredible, even though maybe difficult purpose for all of that rubble laying around us and how he'll use it to glorify himself. We talk about small beginnings. Let's talk small beginnings. You say, I don't really like the idea of small beginnings. I'd rather something big. Let's do something big. So Here's the thing about small beginnings or small things. Small beginnings are not a mistake or a punishment on us. Okay, When he's talking about this, he's not talking about some kind of punishment or a mistake that we've made. He's talking about the shaping and preparation of our life for his use. He's talking about let me let me get to the let me let me go to the other guy in this thing. let's talk about the devil a little bit. Satan fears the day godly correction begins forming spiritual improvement in you. Satan fears that day because when our life begins to line up with the thing, the great things that God has planned for us to bring out of those those small things those small beginnings those small struggles when he When we begin to line up and that begins to change us, the godly correction begins to bring spiritual improvement in us. Correction and improvement usually happen in small ways. Again and again and again and again and again. Your children are the greatest example. If you've raised a child, you know it took forever maybe to get them just to walk. I was going to say potty, but I'm going to be good. Just to walk or to say their first words. The problem, Debbie. I'm gonna give you one of Debbie's problems with Riley. You ready? You writing it down? I go by D. She had this brilliant idea. She'd go by DD. How's that going for you? Not good, is it? No, because when when everything's going on with that grandbaby, she's calling D. Now she probably thinks DD understands she's talking to her, but she's not saying DD. She's saying D. It's a small thing, but a uh, mistake on her part, not mine. So again and again and again, Debbie's going, D, 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 D. So it's going to take a while, maybe by the time she's four. Three, Debbie's claiming three, two, Debbie's claiming two, (laughs) sorry honey, probably three, but anyway, (laughs) I'll give you another example, I'm gonna use myself now, Uh, I don't know if anybody here plays golf, I've played a little golf through the years, love it, I'll say this, uh, if you were were to see me play, you'd know I don't play, Um, I'm left handed, which is okay, There's. there's, there's some pros that stand on their own side of the ball. Um, but I'll say this. It would take me so many days and hours and lessons to get the slice out of my swing because I can knock that ball a country mile. I just need a country pastor to do it in. And normally they're little narrow fairways, so I'm playing two over trying to hit bag. So if you don't know what golf is, don't start trying to figure it out because it's too late. Because it's way too late for me to try to fix it. All I'm saying is this: is is the comparison. I want you to hear this. The, the problem is with my swing and trying to correct it. It's estimated that the golf pros practice an average of seventeen hundred and twenty-eight hours a year. That breaks down to five six point, no no five point five hours a day, six days a week in the year. Practice practice, they practice that much. One hit at a time. One small adjustment at a time. One small correction at a time. One small adjustment. One hit. Then another hit. I don't know how many they can hit in an hour. I I don't know, Barry. But I would get tired after 30 minutes. We're talking five and a half hours, six days a week. But now, I mean, it pays off for them. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, it'll pay off for you if you'll practice. Ooh. It'll pay off for you if you'll listen. It'll pay off for you if you'll let correction come. It'll pay off for you if you'll let God speak to you and you'll line up and, and obey the law of Christ. So, I mean, you can't make this up. they got cars now that you can actually set to autopilot. Roy tried that one time with an old car that he had. He tied a string to the steering wheel on a really straight road and thought, man, I'm going to do some reading now. That's actually a joke. He didn't do that. He's never told me he did that. And if he did, I don't want to tell that on him. But I'm using him because he lets me pick on him. Uh, I, I, I I just say that because I don't like the idea of an autopilot. Because I want to be able to get as close to the bumper of the car ahead of me as I want to. <laughs> I want to be able to change the lanes when I want to. Amen? Y'all know what I'm saying. No, no. So here's, here's the truth about it. You can't tie a string to the steering wheel. Because there's unforeseen elements. Um, there's wind. There's markings and grooves in the road that affect tires. There's, 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 there's car alignment. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that affects. So, so all I'm saying is, is let's keep our hands on the steering wheel and let's let God bring the correction to us that will bring the improvement to us that will cause us to be able to be heart first. Love folks the way we're supposed to love them. Instruction through correction equals change. And that's a heart fully engaged. That's what we're after. Third, heart first people live surrendered lives. So I not only quickly forgive and receive godly correction. If I'm heart first, I'm surrendered. Man, my life is all God's. I want him to do whatever he wants to do. I want to make sure I'm doing it. I'm obeying the law of Christ. Matthew 16 gives us a picture, 24 through 26. Here's what it says. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Does any of you want to be my follower? You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it, Period. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I don't think we really think about our soul enough. I don't think we really think about our soul enough. The fact that we can lose our soul. When we're holding on to a grudge, we're not thinking about our soul. We're thinking about what somebody said or did to us. When we're not obeying godly correction, we're not thinking about our soul. We're thinking about, I don't want to do this. this is just, I've done this. I've done this. I've done this over and over again. I just don't want to keep doing it. James 4, 7 through 10 says this. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Sounds like, sounds like a heart that's fully engaged in something other than loving God and people, doesn't it? Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Glory to God. Will you yield your plans to God's plans? Will you surrender your life to God? That's what we're talking about here. People who live heart first, willingly surrender their life to God. Now, so a couple of thoughts here. I love Psalm 37, 4. Psalm 37, 4 tells us this. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Don't we love that verse? Love that verse. Love that verse. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. I love that verse, but I've got to live this verse. You ready? Proverbs sixteen nine. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I mean, I, he's, he's given me a lot of my heart's desires, and I've delighted in him. And he's given me my heart's desires, which actually translated means that he puts his desires in my heart. Amen? So I love that, that I'm delighting in him to the point that he's placing what he desires inside of me so that when I wake up, I'm wanting what he wants. Amen? But here's, here's what we've got to live. What we've got to live is this. We wake up every day and make plans. We wake up every day and think about what we're supposed to be doing, how we can do it, how we can get it done the quickest way so that we can get to the next thing. Say amen. So we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I've got to live in such a way that doesn't matter what I plan, that I am ready to yield to whatever he determines. (laughs) And that's pretty hard. I, I'm i going to just be totally, totally transparent with y'all. I hate it when my plan changes. Yeah. I, I have a plan for next week. Got a call yesterday. Hey, I'm going to need you to do this this week. Okay. So I had a converca- conversation with Debbie on the way here. Hey, let's talk about what you need me to do next week. And so we figured out it wasn't going to be till the end of march that this all this had to take place and i was like oh good can i buy myself a week or two maybe and get it into my schedule the way i want to plan it please and she agreed to it. she's a good lady i wouldn't have done it next week anyway that would have been the horrible thing but it just didn't fit my schedule y'all know what i'm talking about we have our plans we have our plans and then we have things that try to change our plan and Usually, and so rather than me getting a hold of a grudge, I said, hey, let's talk about this. So, so all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, is when it comes to God working in our plans, we have to keep plenty of room. We have to determine that if he says, nope, here's what I want you to do, that we'll take that step, that we'll take that step. I'll close with Mother Teresa. Incredible example of someone who lived a life heart-first. She loved people. Her story is amazing. Before her death in 1997, she directed The Missionaries of Charity, where she ministered personally for over 45 years. She was a recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. She worked with those who had contracted HIV AIDS, who had leprosy, tuberculosis. There was a Catholic order that she worked with that she ran that had soup kitchens and children and family counseling programs and, and orphanages and, and, and schools. I mean, what happened through her life is exponential. It's, there's no way to describe the good that she did and the service that she did for God. She probably had a plan. But then the Lord gave her a step and she took it. He gave her another step. A small thing. A small beginning. Another step. And another step. He's got a step for you all. It'll be a short, small thing, but you do it. You wake up with your plan, but when he gives it to you, do you do what he says. Do that step, do that step, do that step. She surrendered God's, to God's plan and lived out her words. These are her words. These are famous words that you would know of Mother Teresa. In this life, we cannot do great things. We can only do small things with great love. In this life, we can't do great things we can only do small things with great love. And if every small thing that comes our way we we have a we're heart first, we're fully engaged in love. What will God do with our life? What could he do with our life? big? I'll say this about Mother Teresa. She never despised the day of small things, it sounds like, which is why God did so much with her. Um, What about you this morning? What about you? You're watching online. Who needs your love today? That's the question I want to ask. That's how I want to do the altar call. Who needs your love? Who needs you to let go of something So that you can take hold of loving them? Who needs, who needs, who do you need to forgive? It may be yourself. Who do you need to forgive? Do you need to let go of a grudge so that you can take hold of love? Uh, Do you need to accept correction that God's sending your way? I'll tell this real quick to sort of bring it an illustration to point here, I, I, I know two guys who went through knee surgeries. Each one of them went through a knee surgery each in the former church I pastored. One had it scheduled, but had to delay it because of a, just a slight cold. Just a slight cold. They, they said, we're going to have to postpone it until we get you well. And so they started on my antibodies and all this stuff. And the surgery was rescheduled, and he went through the surgery, and he did great, super recovery time. Everything was perfect. The thing is, I had no idea a cold could stop a scheduled surgery. I'm not a nurse or anything, so I didn't really understand that. And so I asked, why? Why? I mean, I mean, it seems like such a small issue when we're talking about a, a knee surgery. I mean, here's my thinking on that. The knee's here. The nose is here. What's the problem? Can't we get this done? I know that, that was a joke. I'm being funny here. But I did get an explanation. So here was the explanation. The energy needed to heal the knee after surgery would be displaced by the body's immune system trying to fight the cold. In other words, you need to be positioned to heal. Positioned to heal. And all I'm saying this morning is some of you need to position yourself before God to allow Him to heal you. You need to get in a position before God. You need to position yourself before God so He can heal you, by letting go of the grudge, by accepting the correction, by surrendering, whatever it is that you got that's got a hold of you. Uh, you you need you you need to get in a posture of surrender. Is the phrase I thought of the posture of surrender before God. And I'm not saying you've got to come to the altar and get on your knees and put your hands up in there. I am saying that you've got to get your heart in a place before Him that it is, Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. I'll say this. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, if you feel a tug on your heart, that's not me. That's God. That's his spirit. That's him calling you. You know what he's saying? Come close to me because I really, really want to come close to you. That's him saying, hey, will you get closer? Will you get a little closer? I know you've let go of the grudge and you're taking correction, but I need you to surrender everything. Will you get just a little bit closer? Because I'm drawing, I'm, I'm, I'm moving as close as you'll let me. God will move as close as you will allow him to. Just as close as you'll allow him to. Father, we take the words that we have heard, we take the thoughts, we take the information, and we ingest it in our spirit right now. We receive it as nourishment to our soul. Because we don't want to forget about our soul. We don't want to get our plans going to the point that we ne- neglect the worth and the value of our soul. And in that thought, we ask this morning, God, search us, try us, see if there's anything in us that needs to be changed or corrected. See if there's anything in us that, you, that, that we are holding on to that's in between us and you. It's, it's, as we are using the phrase, we're not forgiving, we're not letting go. And in that moment that we are quickened by you, in this moment as we think of whatever that grudge is or that, that correction is that we've resisted, I pray that you remind us how much you loved us, that you draw us even now, each one of us individually, in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Here's how I want to open. I'm just going to open the altar and just say, hey, look, if you have heard anything that has spoke to your spirit and soul, that you feel that God has put his finger on, that you need to let go of, you need to receive his correction, or that you need to surrender before him, I want to invite you to come to this altar, and we're just going to come through, and we're just going to pray and agree in the name of Jesus. Just, just real quick, God, we release it. We let it go. We turn it loose. We just, we're going to just agree, and we're just going to do it in a prayer of faith. I'm going to come down. I'll agree with you, and then we'll end the service. If that's you, if you have something the Lord has touched that he has put his finger on, that you are needing to let go, that you need to turn loose, even to the point, I'm going to ask this, if you're in a position where that you need to know Christ, you, you, you're being called to something and you've not even started a relationship yet. I'm telling you, today's the day of salvation, the scripture says. You can be born again today. You can accept the fact that, that we were all sinners. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. It's what it says in Romans 3.23. And it tells us, it goes on in 6.23 and tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there is this hope, this opportunity for you if you don't know Christ. This would be a good day to come to Jesus. Amen. So do you need prayer? Anyone, anyone, come to the front, stand across the front. Let's, let's just agree right now. Come and let's let us pray for you let us let us agree with you right now anyone else anyone else seek that thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus thank you Jesus, thank you Lord anyone else man this this altar is a place of change transformation, a place the power of God can can bring about what we have preached and talked about today, which is Surrender. So as you've come, just I just want you to do this right now. I want you to begin in this altar. I just want you on your own to begin to say to the Lord what whatever he has touched, whatever he has called for, whatever he has spoken to you about, I want you to begin right now. Just say, Lord, I let that go. I release that in the name of Jesus. I invite anyone in the altar, in the in the service, in the pews, if you know someone in this altar and you want to come stand with them, you come on down here and let's just agree in prayer with them. So you're in this altar. I want you to say to him, Lord, I release this. I turn it loose. Matter of fact, I want you to do something in this altar. I want you, if you came with a grudge or you came with something that you've been holding on to, after you we pray, I want you to look at your hands again. I want you to look at them again. I want you to say, Lord, my hands are empty. I release. I release the grudge. I release. I release the hurt. I release it in the name of Jesus. I refuse to hold on to something the enemy is trying to overwhelm me with. I refuse to hold on to something that's affecting my stride for you, my walk in you, my life in you. I release it in the name of Jesus. Oh.
1: and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and God gave his soul.
0: Lead us in that. Come on, let's sing that.
1: Oh, my God, how rich and your measureless. Stretch my
0: Of how incredible your love is, and how you want to you want to place that love in us and pour it out of us into a world that is in such need. So, God, we just we commit to walk out of this place empty of ourselves, full of you, empty of, empty of all the grudges, full of your love, heart first. Ready to offer our heart to everyone we come in contact with. Ready to offer the hope that we have found to everyone that we know that is so hopeless. God, we believe that you order and determine our steps. And we choose those steps. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said amen. Amen. Love one another.
1: Because he lives I can pay